Lots of fun, lots of fun. Now, a few weeks ago, we, uh, we talked about David, and we said that the driving characteristic of David's life when he faced Goliath, this was long before he was famous in his country, we said it wasn't courage, it wasn't um, strength, it wasn't endurance. We said the driving um, characteristic of David's life when he faced Goliath was vision. Because David saw his God was bigger than Goliath. Goliath was a big problem. Nobody in, in Israel wanted to face Goliath. David, a teenager, walks up and says, I can take him. My God helped me kill a bear, helped me kill a lion. He'll be like one of them. Because he's coming against the armies of the living God. So he saw his God um, rather than the problem. And that was a really good strategy. As we know, he kills Goliath and he becomes famous in the nation. Today I want to look at a snapshot where David has become king. And we're going to look at David's table as we finish our series this week. Um, you have to understand that... Uh, Back in this day, when David became king, the table was a big deal. The table represented the center of power for any nation. So every king in the Far East had a table, and he had certain individuals that, that were seated around the table. He'd have those people who were his closest confidants. He'd have his most fierce warriors. He'd have politicians. He'd have people who had royal bloodlines seated around the table with him. Um, so these folks would... They were the ones who helped him get his kingdom in the first place. They were the ones who would protect his kingdom um, and give their lives for him. That's who would be seated at the table. So, what was David's table like? Now, I'm going to read you some verses, and as we begin to uh, understand David's table, I'm going to need some volunteers to help me. So, I'll, I'll describe who's going to be sitting there, and we'll, we'll find that person in the congregation to come sit at the table. 2 Samuel 23.8 These are the names of David's mightiest men. The first was Jashobim. I want you all to say that, that name, Jashobim. Jashobim. The Hakmonite, you don't have to say that, who was commander of the three, the, the three greatest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. So I need a Jashobim to carry the spear and to come to the table. Let's see, who would be a good uh, Jashobim? Uh, oh, there is Jashobim. Come on, Jashobim. Everyone say... Everyone say, greetings, Jashabim. Have a seat, Jashabim. Don't take, don't take this. Okay. All right, let's see who else is at the table. Thank you for volunteering. 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10. Next to him was Eliezer. Say, Eliezer. Son of Dodai the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pazdamim for battle. Then the men of Israel re retreated. But he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. I have a modern version of a sword. This is a lightsaber. But I need an Eleazar. Um, Lance. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'll get you in a minute. Come on, come on, Nathan. Nathan wants to be Eleazar, whose, whose hand froze to the sword, the mighty sword. Everyone say, greetings, Eleazar. Have a seat at the king's table, Eleazar. Now, next, next, 2 Samuel 23:20, Benaiah. Everybody say Benaiah. Son of Jehoiada was a, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. I love that. Great exploits. Whatever that means. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now, I think this is really, really funny. And I heard a pastor, I, I listened to Rob Bell um, do this talk. And, and he said, 
It's interesting that it says, kill the lion on a snowy day, because those of us who kill lions on a regular basis know how much more complicated it can be when there's snow on the ground. Um, uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. Now, we got to have a, a... Come on, Lance. I called you all ago. Lance is going to be our lion killer, all right? And i got to get his name right. This is Jehoiada. Everyone say, greetings, Jehoiada. Have a seat at the king's table, Jehoiada. Thank you for playing. Be careful with that. That's right. Next, then Joab and his men marched all night and arrived at Hebron by daybreak. I need someone who can march all night, and this is the best I could do. Um, come on, Kyle. Kyle is our march all night. You've got to lose those, man. You've got to put these on because this represents the fact. We'll stick them in here real quick. Yeah, that'll be good when they come out of there. Um, rubber boots. Okay. Everyone say, greetings, Joab. Greetings, Joab. All right. Now, what? You can sit there. That's fine. I'm just messing with you. All right, you can sit there. Now, um, what is what is a king's table without a queen? All right, we need a queen. Come on, Ashley, you're close. Ashley's going to be the queen. Say, hail your majesty. All right, you can just hold it. Take take your chair with you. We don't have another one of the nice chairs. Take a chair with you. All right, Ashley, slide over a little bit because we need a king too. Slide around the side. You slide around the side. There you go, right around the side. All right. Now, we need a king at this table. And uh, let's see if I still have it in here. We have a one-of-a-kind crown signet ring that the king gets to wear. All right, so it says in 2 Samuel 5, 3 and 4, So at, there at Hebron, David made a covenant with the leaders of Israel before the Lord, and they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in all. We need a leader who is around 30 years of age. Let me see. Sit down. You're already there, man. You can't be both. Um, David, David, come on up. I know he's, David's not really 30, but come on. That, that, that makes it even better. How old are you, David? Uh, 43. 43. Close enough. He's a leader. Take your chair. Take your chair. Everyone say, Hail King David. Yeah, that's right. You've got to give up the good chair, man. Sorry. This is, no, 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 no. We've got to, we've got to do this right. He's just Joab. Joab gets a chair, but he doesn't get, he doesn't get the best chair. Oh, got your signet ring. Thank you. Thanks for playing. All right. Now, every king has a table. And in those days, um, these folks were the ruling elite. These are the smartest of the smart. Y'all shake your heads. These are the bravest of the brave. These are the fierce warriors, the politicians, the royal bloodlines of the day. And these people have worked hard for the king. They have earned they're right at the table. I want you all to say that. We've earned our right at the table. All right. Now, this is a big deal. Huge amounts of politics, huge amounts of consequences of choices they've made have led them to the king's table. And these people have a vested interest in maintaining the king's table. Because if you're at the king's table and another king comes and, and, and kills your king, <laughs> guess what? You're no longer at the table because you're part of the previous regime. So, you, you do anything you can in order to maintain the king's table. Now, this was an extremely violent time in, in human history. And one of the things that the new king would ask is, is there anyone still living from the previous regime? He needed to know that. And so, David came to power after Saul. Saul was the first king of, of Israel. David came to power after him. And he was not related to Saul. 
So the question would be, is there anyone from that regime that I need to murder? This was what they would do in those days. Because you don't want someone from the previous king's bloodline showing up and saying, I'm the real heir of the throne. you got problems then. So what you would do is you would take the, that people, the, whoever it was related to the king, and you'd kill them. And you'd do it publicly. Uh, that's just the way things were done. So the proper question that David would ask, is there still a son of Saul or his son Jonathan living? That's the proper question that he would ask. All right, so look at 2 Samuel 9.1. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show chesed? That's a good Hebrew word. I want you to say it. Chesed. You've got to do a little bit of chesed. All right. Remember that word. 2 Samuel 9, 2-4. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? That was like, Yes, I am, and whatever you want me to do, your servant. He's, he replied, the king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show said, Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Lodabar, you hadn't heard of that, that town, have you? It's not like on any maps or anything like that, because roughly translated Lodabar means nowhere. When I was in Austin, um, I was there for four years. There was this place you may have heard about. It. This is a pretty famous place. It's called SPJST. It's a dancing place. Yeah, I see the country western folks back there nodding their head. Yeah, I've heard of that place. It's a very uh, well-known country western place. Some of the teenagers in my youth group used to go up there. SPJST. It stands for some place just south of Taylor. Do you know where Taylor is? Well, not unless you drive, you know, 79 to get to, to Austin. So someplace just south of there, that's literally where it was. It was, and it became famous, SBJSC. Now, if you were, if you were um, to say that about Lodabar, try to figure out, I, this is what I was trying to think. It would be SBJOS, someplace just outside of Slocum, or uh, SBJNN, someplace just north of Natchez, you know. That's where it would, in the middle of nowhere. This is where... Uh, this, this relative of Saul was hanging out. His name was Mephibosheth. I like that when y'all say that, Mephibosheth. We know from these verses, yeah, I've heard that Mephibosheth. That's close enough. We know from these verses that Mephibosheth was crippled. And it says crippled in both legs. So he was paralyzed. And if you want to know what happened, you go back into uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4, or uh, 2 Samuel 4, yeah. And you find out that when the armies of Saul began to fight the armies of David, Saul and his son Jonathan were killed. And when word of that reached the town where Mephibosheth lived, Mephibosheth was only five years old at the time. He had a nurse taking care of him, a servant taking care of him. When word came that the king and the king's son had been killed, because he was the son of the king's son, this was a big deal. She knew what happened in those days. She scoops him up and it says that she begins to flee the city. As she's running, she drops him. And he becomes paralyzed. All right? So, in those days, there was no such thing as the Paralympics. You know, nowadays, we got, we got Olympics for everything. I don't know if you all saw Remember the Titans. That's one of the things that Gary Bertier said. They got Olympics for people in wheelchairs, you know. And he, and he actually won a gold medal in the shot put in that. But they didn't have it back then. Folks with any type of disability back then were no good to society. That's the way they felt about it. So you have a former king's son living in, in nowhere, living in obscurity. He's a nobody with no future, no hope. He's no use to anyone except David because David is looking for 
a relative of the former king, and Mephibosheth is one. Second Samuel 9, 5. So, the king, so King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel. All right, let's say that you're Mephibosheth. You've been living outside the limelight in nowhere. S-P-J-N-N. And all of a sudden, the king's representative shows up and begins knocking on your door. Saying, the king demands to see you. What are you thinking? I am so dead. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's probably what would happen. He'd probably have his head chopped off because that's the way things were done in that society. That's what they do to relatives of former kings. They bring them to a public place, kill them in a very public way to show, to demonstrate to others, you want my throne? This is what happens to people who want my throne. So David's rep knocks on the door and he tells him the king wants to see you. And Mephibosheth was terrified. 2 Samuel 9, 6 and 7. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, don't be afraid, David said, for I will surely show you Hesed for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. That's not what he expected. He expected to be killed. And David said, I will surely show you Hesed. Hesed means loving kindness. It means grace, mercy, goodness, peace. When David asked, is there anyone I can show Hesed to, his intention was to bless them, not to destroy them. That's a pretty cool guy. And that is not an ordinary king. And I think that's the point. Now, what if you're one of these others at the table? What if you're Joab? The one who marched all night so that he could be part of David's army. He's earned his way to the table. Thank you. What if you're one of the mighty men who go way back? They go back before David was king. They go back to when Saul was hunting him down. They fought night and day. They, they faced death all of the time. What if you're the queen? She's had a servant since birth. She gets to do all of these fancy things, you know. Gets to eat the right food and gets to do facial treatments. She has earned her way here because she was born <laughs> to the right people. I always thought that was kind of crazy, that royal lineage thing. What are you thinking if all of a sudden a sorry, no good son of the former king, the enemy, shows up at your table? What are you thinking? Exactly. You're hacked because he doesn't deserve to be here. But the king said, I will show him mercy. I will show him grace. That is not an ordinary king. Thank you. You can go back to your seats. Give him a, give him a hand. Give him a hand. <laughs> Mephibosheth is handicapped. He can't be a priest. He can't serve in the army. He can't be a farmer. He's good for nothing. And I want you to see what the Bible says. 2 Samuel 9.11 So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. This is not an ordinary king. He has a really, really strange heart. Today we're finishing our series on the table and we're talking about each of us has a table where we can invite people to be fed. Wes had somebody that uh, took him in years ago and it made a very significant impact on his life. I want him to share that with you. 
My, uh, we lived in North Carolina whenever I was growing up, and uh, my parents were divorced when I was five, and my dad more or less left and wasn't in the picture. Um, so uh, as we moved to Texas basically for a job, uh, my mom and I didn't go to, we didn't really go to church. We didn't have a whole lot of, um, of opportunity and really a whole lot of time. She was working seven days a week. And so uh, basically my best friend and his family took me in, and it's uh, Scott and Nancy Ryle. And I just remember so much about my childhood and uh, and how they took me to their table. Um, I'd have Sunday dinner over there, and Wednesday we'd be playing. They'd take me to church, um, not so much because I wanted to go to church, just because I didn't want to do anything else, and Jonathan was going to church, so I thought I'd go. Um, that turned into t- going to Sunday night church and Sunday morning church, and, and more or less just because I was a part of their family. Uh, I started going to church, and uh, and it was a big deal when they would ask me to come over to eat with them and stuff like that. And, and so, liter- quite literally, their table was a place that that, um, that I went to, to get fed. But more than that, because I was a part of their family, um, I got fed through the church also. And that's uh, a big reason that I came to, to know Christ. And fade to black. <laughs> Dude, can't be serious for more than three minutes. <laughs> Alex left that on there just so you can see the true Wes. That uh, he's not a serious guy most of the time. This whole story starts with a king asking, Who can I show said to? I mean, the, the, the thing is driven by a king saying, Who can I bless? Um, and this, this is not ordinary for that time, and it's really not ordinary for this time. Well, every king has a table, but each one of us also has a table. It might literally be your kitchen table where you have brought people um, to eat. Um, several of you have been to our table, either through small group or, or through just fellowship times. I've been to some of yours. By the way, you can invite the pastor to come to your table anytime. Um, we like to eat. But what happens when you sit around somebody's table? Fellowship. And we say this all the time. You can worship in a crowd, and God is building our church into a crowd. And we can worship here, and we're commanded to worship here. We're supposed to gather on a regular basis to worship. But you don't fellowship in here. The things I remember about our small group, not even so much the Bible study. We do that, but when we break up into small groups and pray, and and the last couple of times we've gone around the table, I remember when David and, and Carrie were there. Um, I remember when, when different folks I've prayed with around the table. Bridget, last time. When you begin to pray with somebody, when you begin to see them around the table, the walls come down and you begin to really fellowship. And that's when your heart was knit together. I was talking to a couple yesterday about this. And I said, you know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament time, in the time represented by King David, if you ate at someone's table, you could no longer be enemies with them. The very... Uh, significance of sitting down and dining with someone at their table meant you were you were in uh, fellowship with one another. You could not go to war with one another. Maybe more of us need to eat together. <laughs> and maybe we need to remember the significance of that. See, it might be a literal kitchen table, but it might be where you work. It might be where you recreate. It might be where you hang out. Would you consider asking... Who has God brought across my path that I could show chesed to? Who can I bless? Who's being left out 
that I could reach out to, that God has specifically put me here at this time and this place to reach. Many of you are here because someone else in this congregation blessed you and invited you to the table. And we've got to be a church. I was just thinking, what if we were a church that when folks came here, you didn't come here more than once or twice before somebody at the back is saying, hey, you want to come over to my house for dinner today, this week? You think that would make an impact on folks? Sure it would. And, and I know it's difficult. Janie, last night, we had a party last night, and, and uh, Janie was up after the party, after the soccer party, she was up cooking for lunch today so that we could have some folks over. Didn't hurt me much, but she was putting a lot of effort into it because she wanted to be able to reach out to people and invite them to our table. So who can you step into their life and welcome them to your table? Who can you show chesed to? Our God is not an ordinary God, and He's established this table where hungry people can come to get fed. And He wants us to be His hands, His arms, His feet that go to hungry people. Because really, if you think about it, we're just beggars telling another beggar where to come to get fed. We have the source of life, but we've got to share it. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to consider doing this as we finish up today. Would you place your hands over your heart? This King David that we just talked about threw out the politically correct things of his day knowing that he might upset some people around the table, but he was willing to reach out for the sake of people who needed a blessing. And the Bible tells us that this king was a man after God's own heart. Would you like for God to describe you that way, as a man or a woman after God's heart? I would. The only way that's going to happen is if God gives us new hearts. So would you just say in your minds, God, I want a heart like yours. I don't care what others think. I want a heart like yours. Show me the people in my life who need chesed. Give me eyes to see them. Give me the heart to care for them. And give me a burning desire to reach out to them this week. Amen. Now, look up here. The reason I put that this week in here, because you know as well as I do, good intentions that are not followed through upon, you forget about them, come back six months later, oh, yeah, I meant to. It's not the thought that counts, is it? (laughs) I meant to. Forgot my best friend's birthday last week. Emailed him and said, I meant to call you. It doesn't mean near as much as if I'd called him. I meant to give you a present. I meant to have you over. That's not as good as doing it. So in your mind right now, God may be bringing some people, some names and faces to you that you need to reach out to this week. Don't waste time. Look around and see the empty chairs and let that be a reminder to you that there are people in this city, in this area, within driving distance of this church who would come if somebody would invite them to their own table and get to know them and spend just a little bit of time on them, time and effort on them. Next week, we begin a series called Tough Questions. Next week, we're going to look at divorce. 
the tough questions we have about divorce. The week after that, we're looking at homosexuality. The week after that, we're looking at death. Then we're going to go into a series called Life Hurts, God Heals. And I just want to take an informal poll real quick. How many people in here have hurts, habits, or hang-ups from your past that drive you or someone else crazy? Let me see your hand. The rest of you need a second opinion. Um, because somebody, you're driving crazy. I, I promise. That's what the whole series, Life Hurts, God Heals, that's what that's about. And uh, next week, it'll be different. When you come in here, don't panic. We're going to have tables around, and you'll be sitting at tables for the next three weeks um, because we're going to do some interactive type stuff about these questions. We're going to come up with some fun questions. We're going to come up with some hard questions. We'll do some teaching. We'll do some discussion around the tables because we want, we want you to, to be able to ask some, some tough questions as well. Um, and then when we get into to Life Hurts, God Heals, I've been, I've been praying about this and thinking about this for months because I believe this, this could be the most significant thing we've done in our church to, to date because everybody has hurts, habits, and hang-ups and they don't know how to deal with them. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to get full healing from your past. I don't care what your past is. Jesus Christ offers the answer, and we're going to look at how He gives the answer to each one of us, regardless of our problems. When we start our Celebrate Recovery in a few weeks, Celebrate Recovery is not just for drug addicts. It's for folks who've gone through divorce. It's for um, abuse situations. It's for eating disorders. It's for anybody with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Um, and so we're, we're believing that God is going to bring some folks here. But whether you're involved in, in Celebrate Recovery, participating, leading, regardless of, of that, you can pray because this is a huge need in this city. People knowing how to heal from what's in their past. And we've got to pray that God will tear down some, some walls that allow people to be open and honest. Um, and I think this is going to be a very significant time in the life of our church.